You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Oh, hey, guys, this is Joe Sinnott uh, speaking for the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Spider-Man, episode 4A, covering a period of Spider-Man from 1967 to 1968. Our first part of our discussion about the Spider-Man Epic Collection, Volume 4, The Goblin Lives. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your co-host, Frank Martini. With this uh, volume, we're going to cover Amazing Spider-Man in total, uh, 53 to 67, Spectacular Spider-Man 1 and 2, Marvel Super Heroes 14, and not Brand X 6 and 11. And for this episode, we will be covering Amazing Spider-Man 63 to, uh, to 62. Yeah, a good 10 issues of this Stanley John Romita run. And let me tell you, this is actually the first time I think I've read all 10 of these issues. And boy, are they entertaining. So much fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, mm. I had a great time going through these. There's just, it's just classic Spider-Man. And it's wonderful. It feels good reading them. It really shows when you have two creators working great together the, the combination of the two they are playing the best of both strengths in my opinion and uh, the pacing is incredibly fast i mean you it's really a page turner in the pure sense of the way and even though we lose a bit of the look and feel because uh romita can't commit to the complete issues uh after a while the art looks great and uh, it's classic yes Classic is a good word, yeah. It just, it feels so classic from everything we know about Spider-Man. Like, this is this is the definitive Spider-Man, I think, even over Ditko's original creation. Like, this is, if, there's a reason why with One More Day, they rebooted that title and brought us back to kind of this era of, mm. of, of Spider-Man. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it's really the, uh, the, the, the greatest moments of the life of the characters because they are growing, but they are not yet very old. So they are still in this will day, one day, most of the time. Uh, there's a lot of romance going on. The friendship are always a bit shaky. And it's really this, this, this great moment in life when you're turning 18 to 20. And, that's, um, and on top of that, I think that the, 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 the way Stanley tells the story is really more mature than in the previous issues. And the action and the romance aspects are completely entangled, if you don't mind the, the pun. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Peter's life and Spidey's 
fights are all mixed up all the time and one is dancing on the other and vice versa so actually i was reading 53 to 58 and i was like wow this would be a fantastic trade paperback yeah absolutely it could have been it could have been read in six issue you can read that as a chunk and it works perfectly and um well and the fact that uh, the the line is really blurred between Peter's life and Spidey's life. In the past, there, there were connections and sometimes a villain was crushing the, the bugle or something like that. But that, there, with the fact that all characters are tied together, it gets all mixed and Spidey's life is really impacting Peter's life and vice versa. And I think it's it's very, very, very precisely written and, uh, and it works perfectly for me. It really does. I would have to say that the pacing is, is just perfect throughout this entire thing. I, I love how you say it's entangled because that's the thing about the old Spider-Man issues that we've already read is that the, the romance and the action were separate and it's like the the action was there just so that they have something on the front cover but then the other you know personal side of peter's life was kind of the more interesting side but now we're getting to the point yeah where especially with the introduction of captain stacy in this volume yeah. like they it, everything works so well together and the 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 things that happen with the battles, like when with with Doc Ock and stuff, have a dramatic effect on what happens in his daily life, and all the characters are talking about it, and it's it's something that they are all wondering about and worried about and stuff, and it's just, yeah, I was I was super impressed reading through these, but but let's save some enthusiasm for when we actually get into the issues, <laughs> um, and I, I have a I have a bunch of comments from people who I asked on Facebook and on Twitter and such. Uh, for people to tell me what they thought of this volume. And uh, John says, this volume has a lot of great insight into the Green Goblin and builds on Peter's college life, which was getting established in volume three. Ramita really settled into this into his role as artist here, and it's some of the best Spidey out there. Uh, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah. Jamie says, the Doc Ock arc is my favorite Spider-Man tale. Ramita's art with Mike Esposito inking is top-notch, and the story is great. For me, it cemented Doc Ock as Spider-Man's number one villain. Uh, yeah, I think he, like this is probably, other than the issue where he kidnaps Betty Brant, this is probably Doc Ock's best appearance so far. Um, even better than the Master Planner, which really wasn't a Doc Ock appearance. It was, he just happened to be there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here it really shows why, over the year, uh, Doc Ock will be one of the, the, the most important villains in Spidey's, in Spidey's career. So you got the two best villains uh, in that collection. So that's also why it's so, it's so interesting. Jamie goes on to say, Captain Stacy starts to play a much larger role in Peter's life. The guest appearance of Kesar and Medusa were fun. The black and white spectacular Spider-Man is good. We'll talk about that in the next episode. But it seemed mm. out of place. He says, I found Don Heck as a finisher slash inker to Ramita was noticeable. Jim Mooney was better. Mm. I have a different perspective on that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, I used to hate the Heck and Esposito uh, stuff, especially because the last time I read that, it was in black and white in The Essentials. And it looks very crude. And here, I think, with the restorations that we have in the in the in the epic collections, it's completely different. 
Uh, and really, uh, I think that, well, we'll talk about Mooney later because we have the, 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 the later part of this book to talk about it and the whole of volume five because it's there from, uh, as a steady inker for all of the, the of volume five. So we would have plenty of time for that. But I think that Heck and, um, and, and Esposito complements Romita very well. Yeah, I think we can get into that. Uh, the only comment I have there is that yes, certain inkers will ink depending ink differently depending on if it's black and white and if it's color. Uh, and this one you can I think you can tell that he leaves a lot of room for color in his inking. Uh, whereas uh, this is Mickey Demio. Uh, whereas in contrast, if you look at the stuff in the black and white Spider-Man issue, mm-hmm. um, he inks that one too, and it's a, it's it's a different inking style and. I think maybe that's a conversation to have in our next episode when we actually deal with the Spider-Man or the spectacular Spider-Man issue, because I'll have some more concrete examples that I can show you. Mm, okay. Uh, but yeah, Jim Mooney. I w- I've never really been a fan of Jim Mooney. I don't know a whole lot of his work. I know the issues that he did for like Miss Marvel in the '70s and such, and he's never been a, a favorite of mine. So. Uh, I am interested to see what his inking looks like on top of Romita because I don't think I've read any or I don't remember reading those issues. So we'll get to that as well. Yeah, in fact, when Esposito and Mooney are the main inkers of Spidey's book until, well, very late into the 80s, until Ron Friends arrives. Oh, wow. They are there all the time. Okay. And Mooney is the steady, is the equivalent for Spider-Man of Joe Sinod for the FF. Ah, Okay, well then I have so, seen a lot of his work. If he's if he inked like through the death of Gwen Stacy and stuff, then I'm I'm definitely have seen his no, work before. It, no, it's not there because uh, on death of Gwen Stacy it's Romita solo. But afterwards, Esposito and Mooney uh, work over Ross Andrew. Oh, okay. Then and Mooney would be there when Keith Pollard arrives in the late seventies. And then most of the run of, uh, of John Romita Jr., the first one before Ron Friends arrives, he is there. He did a lot of spectacular Spider-Man as artist and inker also uh, up until issue 100, which is by the time with the black costume and so on and so forth. Right. So that's, that, that's a huge chunk of work he did on, on Spidey. So he yeah. was really the mainstay and the, the, the visual coherence exactly like the synod was on, on, on the, the Fantastic Four up until on the, the early 80s. Okay, so I have some more comments. I have one from Steve. He says, this along with the prior volume is peak Spidey. So many legendary villains and appearance um, of that fiendish kangaroo. I don't think we've come to across the kangaroo yet. No, it's no. I think it's next volume. But uh, no, he's not in, the, in, the, in that volume. Okay. Uh, I think, he, yeah, he's getting his volume numbers mixed up. But, uh, but yeah, pr- peak Spidey. I think that's a good comment. Mm. Uh, another John says, the flow of this volume is like no other I've read. I made that comment earlier. Um, the storytelling is superb, and it really shows from issue to issue with so many different mini arcs that seem that seamlessly flow together into a larger arc. Builds upon the previous volume, making it one half of Ramita's legendary run. There is so much to say about this one, mm-hmm. and we will. And it's- 
Oh yeah, for sure. And it's actually the, the, the biggest amount of Romita stuff because volume five has a lot less Romita in it because the, the uh, Mooney is doing some issues as artists. John Buscema is there. And then on the upcoming volume six, we have a lot of Gil Kane there. And the only pure, next pure Romita volume is uh, volume seven, which is the, 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 the death of Ben Stacey. Well, the Goblin's last time. Uh, and then another Jamie says, the volume includes probably one of my favorite Green Goblin stories, plus the pacing for the first half, which deals with Doc Ock and Spider-Man's memory loss, is where I feel Stanley starts to experiment with the serialized nature of the comic. Mm. Um, of this comic, for sure, Stan had definitely started experimenting with serialized storytelling in um, Tales to Astonish with the Incredible Hulk, which would have been a few years before this. Mm. Um, that one was was the epitome of a serialized story, and you can definitely see that he's trying it on a more long form basis because uh, Hulk was only like an like eight page stories, but to to do that with twenty two page stories is a different ball game altogether. So he he's definitely starting this now, and it it yeah. shows yeah it's really good. Yeah, I, I think he, he somehow started that in the FF as well towards the the issues. 40 to... With all the Inhumans and stuff, right? Yes, the Inhumans and then Galactus story. So yep. 45 to, to, to 50, 51. But it's a, different, it's a different beast there. I think it ties more with what we see in Daredevil, uh, in the, the, the Silver Age Daredevil, because I just read that for the first time not so long ago. And this kind of mixing private and uh, uh, professional or you know superhero stuff is m much more present, I think, in, in Daredevil than in them. And also in, in DD, I think that Stanley is doing this kind of more not waiting for the trade, but <laughs> but uh, you know longer story arcs and stuff like that. So, but once again, I, I think in Spidey, it's uh, it, it's an even better version of that. Jamie concludes his comment by saying, after we go through that arc and the Green Goblin one off, the book loses that its momentum a bit. It takes a needed breather to focus on Kingpin and Vulture. Personally, these issues are weaker when compared to the stronger first half, but the volume closes off with a fun Mysterio two-parter, which caps off the book in the best way it could. That's great. And we'll discuss all of those issues in the next volume, in the next episode. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for your comments. Uh, keep an eye on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter because I'll be asking for your opinions on a regular basis for more upcoming episodes. Okay, and that brings us to the part of the show where we can now talk about our issues. Um, mm. Not our personal issues. We'll talk about our issues of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's begin with issue number 53, Enter Dr. Octopus. Now, this is the beginning of a four-part story, which we haven't seen yet in Spider-Man, talking about the serialized nature of, this, of where this book is going. Four parts... And even after those four parts, the whole amnesia story isn't finished. So we are in for a long haul here uh, as we dive into these issues. Um, Dr. Octopus has a plan to steal some sort of new fancy technology that it doesn't really say what it does. It's, it's a disintegrator. Um, it's... Um... 
defense mechanism. It's Gwen who says that on page 10. It's a new type of missile defense called a nullifier. A nullifier, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah but a defense mechanism against missiles, which sounds weird because, well, <laughs> let's call that a convenient plot device. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it I, the way the reason why I say it's it's a vague, uh, undefined weapon is that it, it just kind of works differently every time you shoot it, and depending yeah. on who it's shooting at or what it's shooting at, it has a different effect. So it's not really a standard thing. It is it is very much a plot device, um, <laughs> and Doc Ock busts into a, a, a science demonstration where Peter happens to be to steal this device, and Peter goes after him. This was a fun issue for a number of reasons. One, all of the behind-the-scenes drama with with like with Harry being angry at Peter for disappearring from time to time, and from Gwen Stacy, her appearances. Flash Thompson comes back for a little bit to to say hi, and uh, and then the, on the other side of things, the battle with with Doctor Octopus. This is the first of many battles that we're going to get over the next few issues. And they're all great. It doesn't feel mm. repetitive. It uh, once we get through all of the, these four issues, it doesn't feel tired or or boring. I am so surprised at uh, at how Romita keeps it interesting, even though it's Spidey battling the same guy over and over again over ne- the next few issues. Well, it, it reminds me of the um, the, the, the great. Uh, stories of this Doc Ock that, uh, that I've read in the 80s in, in Spectacular Spider-Man, where they keep on fighting for like four or five issues as well, and it's never it's never boring. Yeah. Because sometimes Ock is on top; it's clearly better than Spidey. Uh, sometimes it's the opposite, and they are both very physical and both brainy at the same time. So I just love the idea that the ending of the issue is Ock finding the the spider tracer, setting up a trap while, uh, so, you know, using mechanisms and things like that, while Spidey finds out uh, because of his his spider sense and then using a ball of web to trick the the mechanism into exploding. I mean, it's it's more than just a brawl between two guys. Uh, They're both very clever. So that's that makes it even more um, uh, more interesting. Oh, absolutely, definitely. Uh, a couple of notes here on page five of this issue, page nine in the Epic Collection. Flash Thompson and Peter have a little bit of an argument, and I had mentioned last issue that when when Flash comes back from the war, he has a different opinion of Peter. It seems like he's gone back to his old ways, but in the last in the last panel. Harry, who's upset at Peter for things that have been happening in the last few issues, um, makes some comment about about Peter, and Flash responds with, "Oh, no, he's okay, Harry." And Harry's like, "What? Mm. <laughs> I thought you were on mm. my side." You know that kind of thing. So Flash, he's keeping appearances, but his opinion has changed. So I like that little, just that little character moment right there. Mm. You know, one of the things that we are going to see, on, which is really surprising in uh, in those issues, is that you never see Peter and Gwen. There is no clear moment, but they they start dating. Yeah, that's kind of a thing with Stan. I found this in the other books that I've read with Stan Lee. Is that the romances aren't? You don't have a clear defined um, like name the moment when they're boyfriend girlfriend kind of thing with uh, with many of these titles. A lot yeah. of a lot of times, I think one of the examples is Hank and Jan in Tales to Astonish when when um, mm. Giant Man and Wasp start dating. They just happen to be dating, like they're talking about it. 
I think the dating world is very, very different in the 1960s than how we perceive it now. Uh, and a lot of these kind of things, like, you know, they're, they are dating with, and a lot of them are like, you know, this is, no, this is the person I'm going to marry. And it's not dating for fun. It's just, uh, I don't know. There's just so many different views on, on this subject that Stan has that is so different from modern day. Mm. So, because we, we could see that this is the beginning of, uh, of their relationship in yeah. this issue right there, especially when Peter comes back after the, the first attempt of the robbery of the, the nullifier. Uh, so when he gets back, I mean, you know, page 15, but... It could be just that she's very uh, relieved to see him returning and so on. And there are plenty of other moments like that in the book where you could say, okay, this is it. This is it. <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there are three moments uh, where you could say that's the definite, that, that's the definite moment. But uh, yeah, there is no first kiss. I mean, like, but like for Jean Grey and Scott Summers in, in the X-Men in the 60s, there is no first kiss. Uh, it's really when Professor X dies and they all go on separate ways that suddenly they are together. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the the and so it's really very different from what we would see today, and uh, because it would be like a splash page or a key moment, and the, the first kiss between Mary Jane. Uh, I, I mentioned that the, in the last episode, uh, but the first kiss between uh, Mary Jane and Peter has much more impact than, uh, and it's really a key moment in one story. It's at the beginning of the Clone Saga, uh, and I, I wish we had uh, we. Had, had something like that. I think that's where Spider-Man Blue comes into play. Mm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tells the story really well there. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, so this issue features Professor Warren quite prominently. Yes. He's the the reason why they get to go to the science exhibit or whatever it is because he has a couple of tickets and he says Peter can bring whomever he wants. Peter chooses Gwen, who also we she says specifically here that she is also a science major. Mm. And I don't think we've had a notion of what her study, what her focus is at all. So, yeah, she's a science major along with Peter. And um, I think people forget this. I'll get back to Professor Warren in a second. I think people forget this in other more modern interpretations or retellings of the story. Gwen Stacy is made more of uh, of a brainy person. And I think of like a when Emma Stone plays Gwen Stacy in the Amazing Spider-Man movies with Andrew Garfield. Mm -hmm. And yes. she is like an intern at the science, at Oscorp. Yes. And I remember a lot of people saying, oh, they've turned her into a brainy person because, you know, can't have the girls just being the damsel in distress or whatever. But no, this is actually comic accurate. She's a science major. Oh. She's quite brilliant herself. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think that uh, some series tend to, 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 to mention that. I think there has been a miniseries about Gwen Stacy, which was delayed because of the COVID situation, and only the first two issues were released earlier this year, and it would pick up, I think, sometimes in October 2020 or a bit later. Uh, and here it's before she, jo she, she joins the university, so it's her uh, high school days when she already knew uh, Harry Osborne. And yes, she's a brainy girl. I mean, she's trying to investigate some stuff. Uh, and I think it was very accurate, much more than the kind of eerie person that, uh, uh, like the super nice girl that she was uh, very frequently seen as, you know, in those episodes and the memories episodes that Stanley and General Romita 
drew in the 90s as bonus features, for instance. Right. Uh, I think uh, that uh, it gives a more, more personality and more interest. So going back to Dr. Warren for a second here. Uh, so on page five of the mm. issue, on page nine of the, the Epic Collection, uh, he sees that Peter has chosen Gwen Stacy to come and he says, you're bringing Miss Stacy? I certainly admire your choice, Parker. And it's like mm. just knowing the history that these two characters have <laughs> together in the future uh, makes that a little creepy. Yeah, it does totally creepy. But, you know, when uh, when you see that, uh, once again, it's it's, in, it's very, fairly innocent yep. then, but uh, yeah. Oh, they would have uh, had no idea at writing this at the time that <laughs> Professor Ward would go in that direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because it's... Uh, one one hundred issues afterwards, and uh, and completely in a different context. Yeah. Um, but I like his hair better than than in the seventies. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you ready to move on? Okay. So issue fifty four called uh, the tentacles and the trap. So we found out in the issue before that Aunt May and Anna Watson are looking for an extra guest in the house. And it turns out that this new guest is going to be Dr. Octopus. And it ties with the, the, the first annual when uh, you remember that Octopus kidnapped Betty Brandt and, um, and Aunt May. And Aunt May was, wouldn't see that he was a bad guy. And here again, she completely accepts that uh, whatever Octopus is saying about the, the fact that he's not a bad guy and that the, the police had it wrong. So he settles into the, the, the house and very quickly Peter finds out about it and obviously confronts him. So there is a bit of, if you do something, I will crush the old lady and so on. Then towards the end of the episode, uh, Spidey comes back to attack Dr. Octopus. And uh, they have a huge fight between the, the, the Octopus goons, which also have reached May's house. And, uh, and there is a, a, a big brutal fight towards the end. And Aunt May sees that and uh, has a, is, gets into shock. Uh, which leaves Peter with the choice of following Octopus, who's, who's leaving or staying with a don't, and uh, obviously stays with her, which makes it an incredibly action-packed issue, yeah. in my opinion. Yep. Because sure. there's not so much when you when you explain, you know, you take notes, and I was taking notes, and there's three lines saying, okay, this is what happens, and it's very straightforward, but the action is incredible, and uh, the tension because of where the situation and when the action is taking place, it's huge. Uh, and it's something that will be played very, very frequently up until the superior Spider-Man between, between May and, uh, and Doc Ock. And most of this takes place inside, this is Anna Watson's house. Mm. Uh, it takes place inside their house. I mean, they, they do spend yeah. a little bit of time around the house, but the action is like, it's indoors. And even like the all of the most important scenes here are inside the house where they're talking, introducing Doc Ock or whatever, and he's making his threats and stuff. Um, very little of the action takes place away, which is kind of cool to, to have it con kind of contained like that. Mm. Uh, and poor Anna Watson, she brings Aunt May into her home, and then her home gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah. This huge, 
huge hole in the middle of her living room, which is too bad. Uh, So Peter's riding his motorcycle down the street, and he's wearing a helmet this time. I noticed this, especially because these days you can't wear, you're not allowed to wear a helmet, or you're not allowed to ride a motorcycle without a helmet. Mm. Um, But Peter has been riding his motorcycle helmetless uh, for the past few issues. But in this one, for some reason, they've given him his helmet, but he doesn't do up the chin strap. So it's still pretty much useless. (laughs) Just wonder why they took the time to draw to, to draw it. <laughs> it's really strange to to draw something like that. You know, the, just the security thing on the on the helmet. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. But uh, yeah. yeah, and it's the moment when uh, when Pete meets uh, Robbie for the first time. Yeah, which uh, he has been there for a few issues already, but uh, it's their first uh, their first meeting. I'm really glad that they are introducing this character because Jonah himself, because he's so one-sided and extreme, it's great to have a calming voice, um, a calming voice of authority because Betty has been the calming voice as well, but she doesn't Mm -hmm. have any power or influence to do anything counter to Jonah. But now we have that person in Robbie. And so the two of them are actually going to make a really, really good combination moving forward. Uh, we also get the return of all of these purple um, hired goons that we saw in mm. the Master Planner saga. And apparently they've just been sitting around this entire time in their costumes, watching a screen, waiting for Dr. Octopus to give them their instructions. <laughs> because um, let's see here. What does it say on page on page 10? Dr. Octopus uh, has finally, you know, he's settled into his new his new location and stuff. And he says, though Spider-Man defeated me when I assumed the identity of the master planner, enough of my loyal aides escaped to form the nucleus, nucleus of a new army of crime, an army which I'll send into battle right now. So they've been on standby this entire time. Mm-hmm. And then if you turn the page to page 11 in this issue, there they are all sitting costumes ready and they're like, oh, hey, quiet, quiet. All of you, the boss is trying to contact us. So they have been just sitting there <laughs> waiting for Dr. <laughs> Octopus to turn on the TV screen here, um, which is that's just the point of hired goons. It's always funny to see that kind of thing. But yeah, Spider-Man, exactly. Spider-Man's able to take out most of them, even when he is uh, gassed and groggy. Mm. Um, so he does a really good job making quick work out of all of those guys. I think that what is really good here is that at the end of the issue, Nothing has been stolen because uh, Octopus doesn't have the nullifier yet. And the fight is personal. And the reason why Peter wants to go and confront uh, Dr. Octopus is because the fight is personal and because ah. he went to Aunt May's house and so on and so forth. So I think it's a it's an extra uh, emotional aspect. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it definitely brings mm. it to the personal level. And so in the next issue, issue 55, called Doc Ock Wins, that's not a promising title, um, Spider-Man goes right after the base, and it seems like he is just, he's on the offensive instead of on the defensive. He's, he's being proactive to try and finding Doc and like taking out all of his bases, all of his gear. He even checks the old underwater base where the Master Planet Saga took place. Can't find him anywhere. He eventually has to give up. So in this issue, Peter has to balance, again, being Peter Parker and being Spider-Man and uh, checking in with Aunt May, who is in, uh, she's not in the hospital. She's in the building that probably has structural damage. It's probably not smart that they are in there still. Mm. 
But balance that with balancing Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy, and then also trying to figure out where Doc is. And by the end of this issue, Doc has the nullifier and uses it on Spider-Man and causes Spider-Man to experience memory loss. Uh, it nullifies his his mind or his his memories. And this is where the 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 brilliance of Doc Ock comes into play. He immediately uses that as an opportunity to say, no, 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 we're buddies. Uh, you you work with me. We are actually the the worst villains in the city. Uh, uh, it's an incredible partnership. And so Spider-Man's like, okay, well, I guess he knows me better than anyone. Uh, I better do what he says. So now we have Spider-Man and Doc Ock working together, which is going to definitely play uh, into Jonah's um, expectations of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, John Jameson comes back in this issue. He's apparently kind of all mm-hmm. better after his w- with his butt with those uh, spores from space, the space spores, mm-hmm. and he is now in charge of security for America, American security, which is a change. I think uh, he wasn't in charge of security before, right? No, he was just an no. astronaut. He was just an astronaut. Yes. So they've given him a promotion, a pretty sizable promotion. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. he's working with, I think, all of the city officials to try and figure out how to stop Dr. Octopus. And uh, it, it's not in this issue. I think it's the next one where Stacy comes in, right? Yeah, we don't see Stacy yet. Well, now he's in charge of security, but he does a terrible job. <laughs> <laughs> True, yes. <laughs> we said last time that, you know, whenever we have uh, John Jameson, there's something, always something gets wrong with him. <laughs> and here he's in charge of security and uh, he doesn't find out that there's a mole in this uh, in the in the security if I remember well and that that's how Dr. Octopus finds out about the, the plan and the, the way the, the, the nullifier is going to be uh, transported from one the, the current location it is to the, the, the Stark Industries uh, building so once again not such a great moment for him poor John yeah uh, there's a moment here on page five where mm-hmm. Mary Jane comes in, uh, like Peter's checking on his aunt, and Mary Jane comes in, and his reaction, the thing that he thinks, he says, boy, she's all I need right now. Like, this is uh, really showing the like where he stands with the two women that are in his life right now. So Mary Jane, mm-hmm. he feels like she's kind of annoying. And on the very next page, Gwen walks in the door, and he says, Gwendolyn, what a surprise. What brings you here? A completely different reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know definitely, even if Peter doesn't realize what's going on, we see definitely which way he's leaning here between his Betty and Veronica. Yeah, uh, I, I love the exchanges between Gwen and uh, and, and Jay. Yeah, just a playful banter. Issues. Yeah, because there, there's something that there are always some sort of you know picking on one another, yep. and uh, there's a lot of truthful comments made there in the form of jokes or you know <laughs> just passive aggressive and so on. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's really interesting to show that that they are both very aware of the situation it's nice it's interesting yeah it is let's move on issue 56 called disaster so spider-man still has his has lost his memory and um dr octopus has asked him to go and steal some 
isotope in uh, in a strange location. And Spidey has, well, he's not entirely sure that he's really a bad guy and uh, he has some doubts. And uh, as he goes to the location and steals the, 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 the isotope, he lets go, he drops the, the map that served as explanation and how to go and to get the, where to get the content. And as he gets back, it he brings back the, the isotope, but in the end, it gets into a big fight between him and Ark. And thanks to the map that they found on location, the army uh, arrives on the scene as well. And while Peter and uh, while Spider-Man and, and Doctor Octopus are fighting, uh, John Jameson uh, uses the nullifier to on Octopus's arms, which leads to uh, his arrest. And Spider-Man finds out that and understands that even though he doesn't have a clue of who he is, he's not a bad guy. And, uh, and he escapes and, and uh, John Jameson lets, lets him escape alone and memoryless. Perfect. Boy, there's so much stuff in that issue. <laughs> yeah. Action-packed. It's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. One question I have, though, is if Spider-Man doesn't remember anything about his life, I know he can. He remembers how to talk and he remembers how to walk. Like those are things that aren't usually affected by amnesia. But he remembers how to use his webbing and how to web sling. That's mm. a learned skill that he had to develop after he became Spider-Man. I'm surprised that he knows remembers how to do that, especially because he's surprised when he has super strength and he's surprised that he can climb up walls. But he instinctively knows how to swing around the city on his webs and how to use his web shooters. Yeah, I guess that the memory loss is as convenient yes. as the new <laughs> It is, yep, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the suspension of belief things for sure. Yeah, well, the, 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 the thing is that maybe it's, an, uh, it's something that he has learned and that is rooted so deeply uh, that he's doing that unconsciously. Yes. Yeah, it's so. like when you drive, I mean, you, when you've been driving for 20 years or so, you, you can think of plenty of other things while, while you keep on driving and you're like almost on autopilot. Uh, so maybe it's one of those things. It could be. Mm. Do I get no prize? <laughs> sure, I'll give you one for that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to point out Ramita's composition skills in this issue over any other one mm. that I've read so far. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And the primary example that I want to show is on pages 17 and 18 in this issue, where the army is coming and storming into in the building and throwing in their smoke grenades. Mm -hmm. Every single panel here you can use as a study on how to compose a panel. Um, you, so I'm going to go, go through these kind of because I, I love doing this kind of thing. Uh, on page 17, the top two panels... The focus of the panels are both the army helicopter in the first panel and then mm. the house in the second panel. And Ramita uses the same composition for both of these panels by making the focus the really tiny thing in the center, but using all of the people that are in the panel to point at the thing at the at the focal point. So Dr. Mm -hmm. Octopus's arms are all curving to point at the helicopter. Spider-Man's head is pointing at the helicopter. Even the the mm. the, the uh, master planner goon at the bottom is looking at the helicopter. And then in the second panel, all four of those army guys, their heads, even though you can't see their faces, their heads are all turned toward the house so you know where to look. The, yeah. the panel underneath that, in the middle tier... All of these army guys are storming the house and the, all, there are a whole bunch of army guys on different planes 
and the jeep is in the foreground i think in the in the dark mm-hmm. blue in the on the far left and all of that works to to bring your eye all the way up the hill even the slope of the hill toward the house showing you where the action mm. is going it's it's just brilliant um the bottom two panels are the same with uh with Dr. Octopus's arms going through the nullifier, which is in the extreme foreground, and the smoke grenades coming through the window, uh, pointing us at Dr. Octopus. Like, the clouds are forming a little circle around Doc Ock, who is the focus of the panel. And then I just love this next page, page 18, where Dr. Octopus is in the shadows. He's the Mm. focal point. But again, uh, Romita does the same thing by having layers of army guys in the foreground to let us know where we should be looking. Uh, and same with the, the the panel with the focus being the nullifier, but ex- instead of being on the in the extreme foreground like it was in the last page, it's in the it's in the background with the army guy in the foreground looking to where we are where where we need to look. It's just such a, a good layout, even though it's just a simple panel. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. And same with the the next panel here. You you would think because Spider Man's right in the middle there that the focal point is Spider Man joining the scene, but the focal point is actually Doctor Octopus grabbing the guns away, and Spider Man's looking at Doc Ock, and um, Jameson. Yeah, Jameson's looking at uh, Spider Man, but his body posture still leads you toward um, toward Doctor Octopus. It's just really, really great layout through and through every single one. And then like the bottom panel, of course, you can see obviously the um, because the nullifiers ray is doing its thing to guide your eye. It's just I love these two pages. I think that you can do a great study or like teach lessons based on uh, what we see in these panels here. Yeah, because it's it's pure storytelling, and uh, you know you don't need you don't need much explanation. Even though uh, Stan always puts those uh, yellow boxes with, with comments, but you don't really need them. I mean, no. you have this um, you know, you have the thing which is very cinematic, cinematographic. Sorry, in the, in the first two panels of page seventeen, with the same angle but showing two the same thing from a different perspective. I I, I think that's very straightforward but it works it works perfectly um and you see the use of, of the window in each of almost each panel uh, which imply that it makes sense when the smoke grenades arrive that they, they come through the window because uh-huh. those windows have been there on all panels that's right and and, and it completely shows the, the the way things are going to to take place once again it's it's nitpicking because you stop at details and you look at precisely at the stuff but when you just glance through it i mean it's incredible Incredibly straightforward. It's not busy uh, yet. It's a, it's uh, there's a lot of action taking place in just uh, just like less than ten panels on two pages, and it's very smooth. It's so smooth. Yeah, you take out all of the words, and you still know exactly what's happening. Exactly, there is mm. no need to have all of the words on this page, but it does still enhance the the quality of the story. But yeah, it's it's just fantastic. Romita, I can't say enough good things about this guy. He's so good. Yeah, okay. I, I, you won't ever hear me say something negative about him. <laughs> uh, the next issue is called The Coming of Kesar. This is issue number 57. And uh, this is the first issue that we're going to have where John is not doing everything on the art uh, on the art side. Well, I, I mean, I guess... Uh, Mickey Demio has been doing inking, but he's only going to do the layouts here, which is fine because I just gushed over how I love his layouts. Mm. But now we have Don Heck 
doing the penciling, finishing the penciling. So he's taking all of John's layouts and filling it in, all of the details. And Don's style is a little bit more scratchy, I guess you could say. He, uh, his, his line work isn't as defined. He uses a thinner, I don't know if it's a, a pen what he, that he uses mm. or something, but um, he has a thinner line. And, and so the drawing, while it still looks like Ramita, definitely has a little bit of a different look to it. I have to say that I read a John uh, Jim Mooney interview where he was explaining that even when Romita was doing layouts, so very rough stuff, there were some things that he really wanted in the page. And if you look at all the, the done hack issues, you will see that there are some aspects that it's clearly Romita doing more precise layouts uh, than others. I mean, it's obvious when you when we, we reached the Medusa issue that he wanted Medusa to look great and he drew most of the panels uh, very precisely. Yeah, for sure. While, and, and Mooney explained that uh, Romita especially wanted girls to look great. So he must have put extra efforts on the panels where the girls were would appear while just giving a, a rough layout for action scenes and uh, more uh, classic stuff. I think that this is, you can see some of this come out on page two and three in this issue. Mm. If you look at page two, I mean, I know that uh, Mike Esposito is inking this issue as well. So you definitely mm. see a little bit of his influence in there. But on page two, where Peter is... Uh, eating the sandwich or and crawling up the building and stuff, you can definitely see uh, Romita's hand in that. Mm. But then you contrast that with the next page where Peter is swinging through Grand Central Station and he's he's going to sleep up there. Those poses um, are a lot more awkward. I think that the 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 buildings, the way that um, the I mean the, the the layout is is Romita's, but filling in the details of the brick or the shine on the floor and stuff definitely has more of a Don Heck feel to it. And Aunt May's face a little bit further down, mm. like that's not, I don't think that that's a Ramita face that looks more Don Heck. No, mm, yeah, for sure. It works also very well on the, on the on page four. When you look at uh, the, the page with uh, the, the panel, the third panel with uh, John uh, Jameson and the, the other army guy, I mean, it's 100% Don Heck. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely, yeah, that army while guy, the, for sure. The, yeah, while on the next panel, the, the, the same army guy on the right part is much more Ramita. So you can see that's um, well, and uh, I think we have a great explanation how, of how it works in in the, the bonus pages when we have the the, the layouts and the, the tryout pages by Larry Lieber, uh, which you can compare with the stuff that Don Hack would do. You can see how precise and how sometimes loose the, the, the layouts could be. Oh, I don't even think I've gotten to the bonus features. I should take a look at that. That would be definitely interesting to see. Yeah, 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 yeah because the, the, the bonus feature has pages from issue 59. So you can see the difference between the Dunhack page and the Larry Lieber page, which was not used. But you, you definitely see the difference uh, between the two artists and where it, it's almost copy-paste from something that Romita had done very precisely and right. something which uh, uh, was more uh, open to interpretation. Huh. Well, uh, as far as this story is concerned, Kesar from the Savage Land comes to, uh, comes to America 
and he's he comes from wealth. He's got an interesting backstory, but he's a very wealthy mm. person. And uh, I don't even know why he's here. I don't. Oh, is he here to see uh, Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, about because they are his personal lawyers about his his wealth that he's just come into. And but yeah. his his meeting here gets sidelined because Jameson convinces him that Spider Man is not a good guy and he needs to go after Spider Man. So that's all that Kazar needs to in order to jump into action because he is a man of action instead of suits and he'd rather be doing that anyway. So this whole issue is kind of a cat and mouse issue where Spider Man is running away and Kazar is following him and it's just a big misunderstanding a lot of the time. And and then in the end, and this is because Spider-Man still doesn't have his memories. And he so he doesn't really know what his position is right now. He doesn't know if he's good, if he's bad. And um, in the end, Kesar realizes that this guy fought with honor. He can't be that bad of, of a guy. Um, kind of a silly ending, I think. Silly conclusion. But mm. uh, that's yes. kind of where we, we came to. It's definitely not as good of an issue as the previous four with Dr. Octopus. I think that the the the, the Kazar aspect is not really good because uh, um, well, is really clearly not thinking it through. Uh, and yeah, very impulsive. There's even a there's even a panel where he said, well, I, he says something like, I could ask for advice on this character to uh, Daredevil or to to, to to Nelson and Murdoch or something like that, but I won't. I mean, he, even Stanley, as he writes it, <laughs> it feels like he's sorry. He's a bit clunky and uh, on this aspect. What I think is really, really important in that story is the fact that Harry finds out the, the spider tracer yes. in uh, Peter's room. And suddenly, for the next two issues, from the two previous issues, we've, we've seen people being worried. Uh, and uh, Gwen and Aunt May being worried about Peter's missing. And suddenly, not only is he missing, but it appears that he's been kidnapped by Spider-Man. Yes, a convenient and conclusion. And it's a completely different picture. Because at the time, it's not really established that for public knowledge, Peter and Spider-Man know each other and they're supposed to work together regarding pictures and so on and so forth. It has been mentioned only once, so it would make sense that this guy taking pictures would be kidnapped by Spider-Man who has turned a villain and something. So it really works, actually, <laughs> this small thing in the story. And, um, and, and that's very clever. And that's even more blurring the line between the personal and the superhero life. Uh, and this is what it gets for me really intense uh, in terms of the story, even though the action is more generic. Yeah, definitely. The it, This is more of a personal story for Peter Parker that just happens to have Kazar in it. Mm. Yeah, I, I also love this progression with, with Harry because he's been so angry in these past few issues mm. leading up to this. And... But now he's genuinely worried. So, yeah, I, I like I like this aspect a lot. And this is what we were talking about: the the stories becoming entangled. Like mm. the the effects of the Doctor Octopus fight are having a drastic effect on Peter's personal life here because he's just missing. And I love that they they uh, draw that out for a little while. We forgot to mention that the the previous issue was the first appearance of Captain Stacy. Oh yeah, that's right. Of course. <laughs> He comes into this picture um, actually a, a fairly well-defined character right off the bat. 
Mm. He is a retired police captain. I don't understand why all of these teenagers have parents old who are parents. so old. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Harry has a, a dad who I think is an appropriate age. But just the fact that, you know, Peter's age gap between him and his aunt uh, shouldn't be that high if his, like, yeah. otherwise his mom and his, and her sister would have to be very, very um, wide apart. Because the, a parent of a 20-year-old should probably be, especially in the 60s when people started having kids at a younger age anyway, should probably be in their late 40s, early 50s, I yeah. think. Yeah, well, even maybe mid, mid 40s. Yeah, could have been. Could and have I, worked. I think that that, and then so, and Aunt May and this guy, like Aunt, probably she, May looks like she's in her seventies, and this guy maybe is in his sixties, especially if he's retired mm. already. Yeah, and that's just really old. Which is why when they cast Marissa Tomei in the new Spider-Man movies, I was <laughs> like, she looks young. She looks way too young to be Aunt May, but she's actually fifty years old. She's actually mm. the right age of a mom to a teenager, uh, maybe even a little too old, <laughs> but to, uh, to to Tim to Tom Holland's Spider Man. But it's a more accurate yeah. or or believable casting, I think. Ben and May were always the the oldest, yeah, uh, of the two couples. So it makes sense that Aunt May would be slightly like maybe two, three to five years older than. Than Peter's parents, but, right? Uh, but not, not like fifteen to much. twenty years older. <laughs> but I, I must say that maybe Gwen is a very late child because if you have your child at forty something, uh, which I know very well from personal experience, because my parents were forty-two and forty-three when I was born. Oh, okay. So when you when you reach seventeen, eighteen, uh, your parents are sixty. So it's old, but it, it, it works actually. Yeah, uh, I guess so. so um, but uh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons, you know, now I, I think about it, it's one of the reasons why I related that much with, uh, with, with Gwen Stacy, because uh, her dad would have been the same, would, she would have the same age difference with, uh, with her dad than I would have with mine, that I have with mine. So yeah, That's a works. great perspective. Yeah. No, yeah. Th mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, because that's a really good perspective. And uh, yeah, we, we still we, we see the beginning of that uh, Spider-Man, Gwen Stacy, Captain Stacy in the middle, and uh, this is something that they are going to pay for the long run uh, for a good chunk of uh, thirty to thirty issues. Yeah. So this is something which would be very very important and central to the to the Spider-Man stories of uh, the next three to four years. Okay, so let's move on maybe to issue 58 called To Kill a Spider-Man. So Kazar has rescued Spidey from drowning uh, and apparently the shock gives uh, Spider-Man his memory back. So all is sorted between, between the two and um, as Peter is trying to find out what happened to why he was memoryless, uh, a new Professor Smythe is back with a brand new uh, Spider Slayer to, to, to completely get rid of Spider-Man. And there is a complete change of personality with the Professor Smythe versus what we've seen in the, in the previous appearances he had. And the rest of the issue uh, is fairly straightforward with a big brawl between the robot and, um, and, and Spider-Man. And, uh, and the final thing is the Spidey being 
smarter than the robot and finding in a lot of spiders that overpower or I don't know what the world would be, the, the senses of the robot, which is yep. destroyed in, the, in Smythe's uh, lab. Which I think is incredibly silly because how many <laughs> spiders live in the city? Like there's spiders mm. everywhere. You, you can't see them. They're under rocks or in the in the cracks or whatever, but they're there. I, the spider, yeah. I, there must be a threshold for the spider slayer's senses that doesn't detect ordinary spiders. Otherwise it would be sensing spiders literally all over the place. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> Kind of silly. I thought about that in the last the last appearance as well, but I didn't mention that. But I like mm. the Spider Slayer's design here. Now it actually looks, you know, like a, a, a formidable thing instead of a goofy little robot. Mm. And they actually call it the Spider Slayer in this issue. Mm. And I like Jameson's uh, comment about that. It says, "No, wait a minute. No one's talking about murder. I don't want to slay Spider Man. I just want to. I just want him captured." <laughs> Mm. So, Spider. So, Jameson's yeah. like all talk a lot of the times when he's always about destroying Spider-Man. And, and I love the fact that Smiles says back, "I just took poetic license." Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it just sounds menacing. It's not going to actually kill him. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the the weakest issue of the bunch because I, I find it really strange that the 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 main thing that has been central focus of the last three issues, the fact that Spider-Man has lost his memory, is solved by in two pages uh, and then virtually it's nothing but a big fight and we have to wait until the next issue to find out how he's going to sort out the mess which is around the, the, the fact that Peter has been kidnapped and uh, Aunt Maisie is worried and Gwen is worried and everybody's wondering where Peter, where Peter can be. You're right. Um, I didn't even notice that they are not even in this issue at all. We don't get no? any continuation of the gang or Aunt May's sickness or anything like that. Wow. Well, there's just one couple of panels, actually. There's one panel with May being in the hospital, page four, and page oh, five, right. Harry and Gwen talking together, but that's about it. I wonder if this is like an inventory story or something, if they were behind. Um, well, no, I, that doesn't even make sense because it's the same artistic team and everything. Weird. Yeah, maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's just... Uh, there, there are some things which would make me think it could be an inventory story with some extra content because even the way page uh, nine, the way Ned and Betty look, looks a bit dated compared to the, 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 the more recent uh, way they've been portrayed. Um, so I don't know really, and uh, actually you, you could almost remove the, the 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 fight scenes, and you could plug them anywhere. Yeah, you know, and uh, and the rest is just uh, uh, filler and uh, not so much uh, plot forwarding. I would say. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, I don't mm. have a whole lot of comments about this this issue here. I mean, it's the 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 battles are still good, and Romita does it still does a good job of laying out all of the action and stuff. But this, yeah, it it's fairly inconsequential. Mm. But the next issue, issue 59, is really great. Yeah. Uh, and I do like these next few issues that deal with the kingpin here. Um, mm. Yeah, so the brand of the brainwasher. And I, I read that as like, oh, we just got a, you know, um, an, the an amnesia story where Spider-Man is essentially brainwashed into thinking that he's Doc Ock's partner. Is this going to really happen like immediately again? But it goes mm. in a different direction. So I was happy about that. <laughs> um, now, it still says that the inking is Mickey Demio in this issue, but it feels so different. 
And if you go to page uh, three, two and three, mm. and you look at, uh, so let's look at page two and look at this, the middle panel where Spider-Man is spraying his webs on the cops. All mm. of those action lines in the background, that mm. looks like Don Heck inking instead of Mickey mm. Demio. Because Mickey, Mickey u uses a brush and I think Don uses a pen or some sort of hard nib because mm. that doesn't have any weight to those lines at all. They're just basically straight. They don't even look like they're drawn with a, with a ruler. Um, and the, the, the look and feel changes dramatically by page five, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, go to, sorry, um, on page three... The all of this stuff where Peter is crawling on the ceiling and in the mm. background, like even those poses don't look like Romita poses. None of this no, page I mean, looks like it was drawn by Romita, except for the or except for Peter in the last panel. Uh, and uh, it's a nine nine panel page, so Romita wouldn't doesn't do that anymore. It's so strange. And then mm. yeah, you're right. Once we get to page five. It looks just the quality of the composition and the quality of the inking looks like it's back to normal. I don't know what's up with those first few pages, but it's kind of weird. Doesn't look the same. Even the even the coloring is different, slightly different. Yeah, well, and that's a lot of it's because the inking is so different. Yeah. I think. Mm. But but if you look at the two uh, opposite uh, Peter Parker panels from page four and page five, clearly you see the difference. I mean, there's even the the, 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 the small curvy the small curve in his hair is is not in the same place. It huh. Doesn't look the same. <laughs> You're right. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So probably that Romita didn't work on the first few pages. Yeah, and also you look at the page, the Peter Parker that you just pointed out on page four with the curve, mm. the curl in his hair on the wrong side. You yeah. look at his clothes, the way his clothes are folded and the, the blocky mm. inking there, that's Don Heck inking right there. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that this is these some of this is inked by Don Heck instead of Mickey Demio. Yeah. And the, 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 way, the layout is much more, once again, it's more crowded in terms of the amount of panels we have per page, uh, which changes uh, a lot. Page six and seven, it's, it, it's over. And if you look at Captain Stacy, final panel on page four, and there's no way Romita has touched that. <laughs> so stiff. Mm. Yeah, definitely. This really looks like Heck had much more influence in, in there. And then we get to like page seven when Gwen Stacy embraces Peter, mm. so Romita, but yeah. still doesn't quite look like Romita. So you can definitely see that he's doing the layouts, but heck, is kind of uh, doing some interpretation on top of that. And actually, I didn't. I was trying to understand why he was doing only the layouts because when he left the book uh, later in the volume five and uh, and uh, and volume six, we have less from it and stuff. It's because he was doing Captain America or because he was doing the Fantastic Four and stuff. Uh, right here, actually, he's just uh, trying to uh, to pull double duty because he's doing at the same time the 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 two uh, Spider-Man uh, spectacular Spider-Man, which have lot more pages and lot more content. So he's working oh, yeah. on that. And you can tell that he's putting time. a lot more effort into those books than he is here, mm. for sure. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, he's definitely so that, pulling double duty. And I think that it's the the when we get to the the, the page when we talk about page seventeen and nineteen, 
it's the moment when we can go to the, to the bonus section and have a look at the, the, the Larry Lieber pages so that you can, have, you can see the difference uh, and see whether the, um, the layout gets into play and, when, uh, and the, the, what the artist, the, the, the finisher does. Okay, that sounds good. Mm. Okay, so uh, the story in this issue here, Mary, Mary Jane's got herself a job. She is not going to college right now She's trying to make it as an actress and stuff, but she's got a job as a go-go girl at a new club that's opened up. She gets to just dance on tables. And her other part of her job is taking pictures of celebrities that are there. And she has been instructed to only take pictures of certain people who are seated in certain places uh, because her camera uh, has some sort of hypnotic device and controls them. Captain Stacy is one of the people that gets controlled. And Spider-Man has to swing into action to find out what's going on. This is a great story because it directly ties his personal life into the goings-on of of what of the villain of the month, uh, mm. which is this brainwashing guy here. Because Mary Jane is the center of the action here; she's the one who unknowingly is hypnotizing all of these people, and one of them happens to be Gwen's dad. So there's the other part of Peter's personal life. Um, I, I love the the flow of this one. I love the action. I loved the just the way that the whole plot was constructed, putting Mary Jane in danger. It's kind of this is her first brush with danger uh, as mm. relating to Spider-Man, that is. So that's kind of cool to see. And then we get a good cliffhanger in the end when we find out that the person behind this brainwashing is the Kingpin. And uh, based on the last Kingpin story, we know that this is going to be a big problem. Yeah, it's probably one of the very, very good issues in terms of story. Yeah, but it's one of the worst in terms of art. That's right. Yeah, uh, which is an odd thing to say among all the very good stuff we're seeing there. But it's really the weakest one. I really enjoyed the beginning of the book with Peter's return and the way he deals with the whole situation and how it's yeah. it's sorted out in a rather clever way. And it nicely ties with the, the, the previous issues we've seen. It's good, yeah. Uh, he kind of bumbles his way through it, and people come up to their own conclusions about what's happened, and he kind of just goes along with it. And it really mm. just works out for him. So it, it saved him having to come up with excuses himself. Yeah, I love the fact that uh, at some point he said something like, that's my story, and uh, I asked him to read or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he starts making up his story because he, you can see that he is very worried about Aunt May, and so he has to go and visit her, uh, but he's, he hasn't thought through the, 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 the whole story and um, how he's going to explain his disappearance. And it's slightly more carefully thought when he, when he gets to the police and, uh, and he lets the guy, yes, solve it out for, for himself. So you, I was thinking based on our conversation just about how the last issue was kind of pointless, trying to think about where does that issue land and where does this issue begin? So if you took the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages of the previous issue that, that wrap up the Kazar story, mm -hmm. and right there, uh, Peter Parker, he says he's all out of web fluid, but he... Mm -hmm. Uh, and then if you just skip right to the very beginning of this next issue here, the brand of the brainwasher, he says he's refilled his web cartridges just in time. And then he just continues on. Like, you could just skip from one to the next. In fact, let mm -hmm. me see. Let me just count this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
Um, I wonder if there, if maybe these pages at the beginning, because they're inked and drawn so differently, maybe they were supposed to be the Khazar pages, and they had to add some extra pages in here at the beginning because they used those pages in the last issue. Oh, yeah, could be. So they really did have to kind of insert a new issue in there. I don't know why, but it could be. Possibly because Romita couldn't deliver and uh, they had to, to rush some stuff. Yep. Because the previous issue, it's really a mix between the, the, the two types of art. So I wouldn't say that Romita was not in it the way that we, we can say that for the first three pages, four pages of this issue. Right. No, I just wanted to go to the, the just let's not mention maybe page 17, but just go have a look at page 19. And in the bonus section, okay, you have the same page, the rejected page by Larry Lieber. Oh, wow. Okay, nice. So you see, uh, suddenly you see what uh, was done, the, the, what is the layout and the difference between the two, uh, the two type of arts. No kidding. Yeah, and you have the same thing for the for, for page seventeen, opposite to to this one. So you, you have a couple of pages like this. So you see the 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 the, the, the way the page is composed by by Romita for sure. Uh, the main layout and what the dynamic of the of the action can be, and then you see the difference between the two artists, and you see how much Larry Lieber is completely different, uh, and Don Hag does his best to you know make it have MJ really look like a Romita MJ. I wonder if the first few pages of this issue are then maybe they were done by Larry Lieber uncredited. I don't know. Because they could just the awkwardness of the, the poses. Like go back to mm. page two of this issue. Yeah. Spider-Man, that middle panel where Spider-Man is spraying the uh, the cops and mm -hmm. the the awkward foreshortening on his leg that is extended. It's supposed to be uh, coming at us um, in the panel. Mm -hmm. That type of sort of sloppy anatomy is something that we saw completely in the in the, the annual that Larry Lieber did, in annual number three. Huh? No. It's the no. same kind of a pose there. I wonder if Larry drew these pages, these first few pages, or at least um, did the finishes over top of Romita's uh, rough layouts. For sure, from the, from the bonus pages, we know that he worked on issue 59 because he did like three pages. We have three rejected pages yep. or unused pages, as it's mentioned. I don't know if it's a rushed issue, if uh, you know, there were deadlines and stuff. or it's really, we, we would probably never find out. But uh, clearly, in terms of art, it's completely different from, the, the, from what we've seen before. And uh, there may have been many artists, were, many people working on this issue. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> wow. Mm. It's kind of cool to, to play detective like this. Because it's, Isn't it? it's yeah. such an anomaly. This this issue is very strange in that sense. One of the things, uh, as before we tackle issue 60, I think there's a good change by issue 58 in the covers. And that Romita is, use, is spending a lot of time on these covers and uh, probably using uh, uh, something not as, as thin as he would use in the inside and uh, the, the really I think that the covers really stand out compared to the to, to the rest of the uh, of the content I opinion. the cover to issue 59 is just incredible 
how he mm. uses the curtain as a panel divider. So he has two panels, yeah. basically, is one that's behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. It's just a, a really, really great, great cover. No, and I, and I love the, the movement that the Kingpin is giving to the cover of uh, issue 60, even though there's no background. Yeah. It's just this, but uh, gives a great, uh, great feeling of the, the, what is going to happen in the issue. Okay, so this one is called Oh, Beats of Victory. In the previous issue, Captain Stacy was uh, was uh, taken in the lab, which is in the background of the of the nightclub where MJ is working. It starts with the Captain Stacy being uh, being brainwashed and and a big fight between the the Kingpin and Spider Man, uh, who gets an electric uh, shock at the end of the fight. Uh, so he escapes while Captain Stacy gets uh, brainwashed. Uh, so it takes a bit of time for him to, um, for Spidey to, to get to get back to his senses, and he decides to pay a visit to the to, to the Stacys. Uh, and there is sort of mini fight as Captain Stacy, who's clearly brainwashed and whose personality has changed, attacks Peter, uh, which leads obviously to a fight between Gwen and Pete. And a lot of things happen in this issue, but we'll get back to that. But at the end of the issue, the, the Captain Stacy is helping the goons, trying to recover some evidence in a rocker room uh, at, the, um, at the precinct. Peter has taken pictures of the event as he gets into it uh, and shows in the in the Daily Bugle that uh, Gwen's father is helping, uh, is trying to rob uh, Files and is now, well, apparently a bad guy. So great. I love that. It's... Yeah. The, the struggle that he had to to make to make that decision is just fantastic. The artwork is better in this issue, much better. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. we still get some clues that Don Heck uh, is is doing a lot of the finishing. Like on page ten, that face of Captain Stacy down in the bottom is a Don yeah. Heck face. Where, yeah. but then you you look in the panel, the Gwen Stacy looking out the door a little bit above that is definitely Ramita. Yeah. But what I love is this: the first two pages, the splash page, and the page following. Mm where we have the Kingpin fighting Spider-Man and the Kingpin is seen from so many different angles. Mm. Like this is such a great Ramita example of what Ramita does also yeah. uh, is he he is not satisfied with just drawing uh, straight on action shots. He's got to make them look really, really dynamic. Uh, something that Don Heck kind of struggled with was his action sequences. Oh yeah, and uh, really, the, the, this issue really feels like Romita is choosing the panels he wants to draw and what he really wants to showcase. Because when you look at the the, the scenes taking place at the Stacy's house, I mean, page twelve is so obviously Romita and the way he draws Gwen. It's obviously him. When you turn to page thirteen, the, the, the last two panels they are obviously Romita as well. So yeah, the, the, it's really mixed. I think the panels where Romita put a lot of details uh, into, and the one where he just you know did rough layouts, and uh, but the art gets better in this issue. Yeah, uh, and then this issue also, I love the the drama when yeah. uh, Peter goes to their house and and accidentally knocks over Captain Stacy, and just the look that he that that is on Gwen's face that uh, Ramita or whoever it is that's drawing is able to convey as she can't believe that Peter would attack her father. 
It's just <clears> fantastic <throat> stuff. I mean, once again, it's really blurring the lines because Captain Stacy mentions that uh, Peter is, uh, is having doubts or is wondering about his situation. So the Kingpin gets Guy to attack Peter Parker and they, they, they go to his flat and they start smashing things. Yes. Uh, yeah, so there's so much, you know, tension being there, and uh, it's not—it's no longer just Spider-Man versus a bad guy. It's everybody's involved. I found that uh, while I really liked the Kingpin's previous appearance, I found that mm. I wasn't so keen on him in this one, except for those first few pages that I really liked that little fight scene. But he—he mm. he doesn't do anything different, I guess, to enhance his character at all. Like this is his second appearance. We should be building upon what we've had from the last appearance, but really nothing happens with the kingpin he's very incidental in this whole story uh, because the action is more focused on what's happening with captain stacy the, the the only good thing here in my opinion is the fact that he's raising his game because now he's starting to to, to try to brainwash councilmen, police guys, and so on, to, to get some inside perspective uh, on things and to have people uh, doing things for him. So I think that he's trying to spread his influence with this plot. But that's about it. I mean, as a villain and as a contender to Spider-Man, there's nothing major there. Yeah, it's not. I don't think he's used as effectively in this as he did, was in the previous Kingpin story. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's go on to the next issue, issue number 61. What a tangled web we weave. Great panel of all of his friends and family stuck to his Spider-Man web. Uh, in this issue, he Spider-Man is still kind of on the trail of uh, the Kingpin trying to track down what's going on here. And we, we actually get a good story with Norman Osborn. He, he's back in the picture in this one, and he, his story is going to continue over the next few issues here and um, mm. leading up to something big. But Peter finally busts in on Kingpin, and I find that this whole ending is kind of uh, convenient because all of the people happen to be in the same room at the same time, which is not usually mm -hmm. the case. And Spider-Man happens to bust in on them at the same time and saves the day. In fact, actually, um, Norman saves the day by uh, destroying the brainwashing machine. So yes. that's kind of cool that he is able to to act heroic through everything that he's going on. It kind of shows us that he really isn't the Green Goblin right now. Um, and that's definitely, I think, a foreshadow for what's going to happen in a little while. But uh, yeah, I, I just found that this whole ending was not, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't live up to my expectations of what has been happening thus far in the series. I think it's uh, there are many things which are a, a little bit too convenient in this issue. The fact that the kingpin uh, establishes his lab and you know uh, crime base in the back of a lab at Norman Osborn's Industries for me doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, it's very silly. It's careless, I think. That, that, yes, and that's almost impossible. I mean, how could they get in the building in the first place? Well, <laughs> even though it's it's the sixties and the security has are not as tight as today but I mean it doesn't work at all uh, for me and uh, it means that the guy has set up a complete extra lab in the background of his lab I mean for me the suspension of disbelief is, uh, is, is a bit too high for me yeah yeah the one good moment, well, there are a couple good moments in here, but one yeah. one good moment is when Peter realizes, um, where is it? I have to find the page just a second. 
Oh no, yeah, yeah. It was in the um what issue is this? Yeah, in, in issue sixty, I forgot to mention that on page one sixty in the epic collection, it's page nine in that issue, he, he sits up in bed and and he realizes, How can I battle the father of the girl that I love? And he says, The girl I love, this is the first time I've ever admitted it to myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good good progression there. That I forgot to mention that because that plays heavily in this issue. It's kind of what drives him to do what he's doing, even though he made a mess of the situation with with Captain Stacy. He is still determined to save both of them, uh, even though he doesn't know where they are. Um, they're they're on the run, and then at the very end, when they are both about to get smushed by this big vat full of molten metal or something, which is kind of a weird thing to have in their back room laboratory um <laughs> uh, he <laughs> for sure yeah he he even shouts out her name gwen gwen as if he is like you know he's ab- absolutely uh, scared that he, that she's going to die in this situation yeah there are a few things that uh, um you know when i was saying way too many things which are too convenient in that issue yeah i, I think page 12 when he's doing this kind of mask extra mask that he's wearing in case the kingpin has this gas gadget that he yep. used the first time they fought I mean, that again it, it's it's just weird storytelling it's just feeling space for me because <laughs> you could have played it in a very different way but uh, that's just me. That when they go to the airport when the stasis go to the airport i mean how silly it is to wear sunglasses in the middle of the airport trying to look anonymous or no, no, no <laughs> yeah. like hiding up there. And the geek in me was thinking, oh, they must be leaving to go to London. To because London. that's where, yeah, because that's where Captain Stacy's brother lives. Oh, okay. Because further down the road, Gwen would leave for a while and she would go to London. And I was like, hmm, airport. Yeah. Because they, they are not, it, it, so, you know, it's like retconning some, some things. But oh, sure. Because they, they could have drive. Well, they, yeah, they want to go overseas. They, they need yeah, to get out of the country. Yeah. So, so plane means overseas or maybe a different area in the U.S., uh, and that's why I came up with the, the London aspect. Sorry, that was a very geeky moment. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So I think overall, this 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 two part story with, uh, or actually, I guess it's three part story with the Kingpin yeah. and then the Spider Slayer. That's four issues kind of in a row that were not as impressive as the the beginning part of this book, unfortunately. No, I think it's, yes, it, it ties to, to the fact that maybe Romita has less time to work on it. And uh, I've read many times that Romita and, uh, and Lee were really working together because Romita was spending a lot of time in the Marvel offices at the time. So they could work together very closely. And um, since he's doing other things, like the two spectacular Spider-Man books, he had less time to, to dedicate to those issues. And for me, it shows. I think that it's too bad that after having such a serialized story with the Doc Ock stuff that they decided to to dial that back and have some shorter mm. stories and one-off stories again instead of continuing that momentum. I mean, these are still good stories. They're still enjoyable, and I still had fun mm. reading yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. But I would have liked to see... Um, I mean, I guess they're trying to do that a little bit with the Kingpin story, with the, all of the drama that's going on here, but... But the momentum just isn't carried forward. And then we get to this one issue here, issue 62, with Medusa, which is also Mm. a fun story, but at the same time, inconsequential. It's it's just another one-off issue. 
which is standard for the 60s. I don't know why that I think that I should expect anything different, but it just doesn't seem to doesn't seem to flow as well from the previous issues. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, it's a, the the thing is that the the, the principle of the issue is uh, is just based on misunderstandings between yeah. the two characters, and once you you've gotten that, I mean, the rest is completely inconsequential, and you have this. Uh, so, and it's even silly because you know Medusa has big hair, so there is this guy from a shampoo company who wants to hire her as a model for uh, for advertisement, and then when she's not into taking pictures, she, he speaks to Spider-Man and says, oh, you have to arrest her because she's going to destroy the city. I mean, there's almost nothing that really works in this story because uh, why would Spider-Man believe a guy who he has never seen before? Why right. he spoke with Medusa before and, uh, and they were talking about why she was here. You know, so, so, so for me, the only thing that saves this issue is the art. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Medusa looks gorgeous <laughs> yep. on every panel where she is. Yeah, it's true. It it's a, it's great to see to see her design in Romita's style. It's it, her hair is just so incredibly huge. <laughs> uh, mm. Yeah, she looks great. And I think Spider Man makes one comment here, and he says, "I've never fought a woman before." And it's like I was thinking about that. Yeah, it's true. He has no female villains in his rogues gallery yet at this point. No, and the last time he was fighting a woman, it was Princess Python during some of the late. Oh yeah, that's right. And he refused to fight her. Yeah, he couldn't punch her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But here he has no choice, and so he gets into it, and uh, and Mm. it's a lot of it's kind of played up for laughs as well because Medusa at this point is a fairly ridiculous character. She talks in the third person the entire time, which is incredibly annoying, and then the whole Mm. situation with the the shampoo guy montgomery bliss and Mm. the way it ends with him on a comical note really Mm. colors the tone of this issue differently than the rest of them it's definitely played up for laughs yeah especially because the very few things that are not part of the sense the main story like uh, the the gwen thing uh the the small scene that when peter tries to visit stacy's on page 201, the, the, the last part of the page is Norman and, uh, uh, and Jonah, which is moving the plot forward. You know, the, the, the Norman remembers plot forward. It's completely different from the rest of the, of the issue. Yeah, it is. Even visually. I mean, the, the bottom part of, the, of page eight, compared to the top, it's almost two different styles. The guy is definitely Don Heck on the top. Medusa is more Romita, but the bottom it looks like finished uh, Romita pencils. Right. Who knows how they were working at I the don't time know. on those issues. But that concludes a great, uh, a great series of issues. Fun stuff. Yeah. Really fun stuff. Even though there are some disappointing endings or whatever, the, these issues are still a lot of fun. It's incredible to to be able to read these uh, for the I think for the first time, <laughs> so many years after they were made, and find that they are still enjoyable uh, even in today's modern context. It's a lot of fun. People definitely need to track down these Romita volumes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if they, were, if they, could if they be would keep them in print. Be... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, one last small thing, you know that you see that final panel with the MJ and, and Peter walking away yep. with the Spider-Man shadow on top of him. In the French editions, we had oversized uh, version of of the Spidey books, so they were the, the same size as a graphic novel, you know, uh, from the 80s. You know the graphic novels like the New Mutants graphic novel. Oh yeah, you know, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This size. And we had a, dedic- a dedicated collection for Spider-Man, and the, f- the, the, the last page was always, you know, the, the, the back page was always this panel of Peter walking away. Oh, uh, really? That was, that was reused for years and years in this, in this collection. And once again, as I read that, I found, I, I saw this panel for the first time in years. I said, oh, this is where it's coming from, because nice. they were obviously reusing some of existing existing stuff. And uh, that was the, the, the final page of all those collections. Well, it's a perfect uh, representation of the relationship between Peter and Spider-Man. Mm. It's yeah. so fitting, that one right there, of the, the shadow looming over top of a uh, disappointed and sullen Peter Parker. Uh, it it's a, yeah it, it makes sense that they would choose that to be a representative picture uh, rather than yeah. um, actually it, it there's there's two ways they could have gone it is they could have gone for the heroic swinging through the the city Spider-Man but they decided to go through this which really shows the humanity of the character instead yeah the the moody aspect yeah very cool okay well that does it for our episode today this uh, I, I'm really looking forward to getting into the second half of this book with the spectacular Spider-Man magazine issues and the mm. uh, the Mysterio story that I've heard lots of good things about, uh, some cool bonus features and all of that. We we'll, we will talk about that next week as we uh, continue on our journey through these early issues of Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man. So as usual, I have to plug my my uh, social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Search for me, Epic Marvel Podcast. Join my Facebook group if you search for Epic Collections on Facebook and also check out my new YouTube channel, the Epic Marvel Podcast YouTube channel. And uh, thanks once again, Frank, for joining us on this episode again and uh, sharing your insight and your love for these issues. Well, it's been a pleasure. And for all of you listening out there, we will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.